Good morning from KZYX. This is Lana Cohen. Stay tuned now for a special public affairs show about water and whether we have enough of it on the Mendocino coast to sustain life as we know it. This morning, you'll hear from one local and one state water leader. And at the end of the show, there'll be an opportunity to call in and ask questions. Many listeners probably remember 2014, the year there was a water shortage in inland Mendocino County. Wells went dry, taps got shut off, farmers were forced to leave their crops out to dry and shrivel in the blistering summer sun. Since that year, prominent water managers, political leaders, and policy analysts from the Ukiah Valley to the state level have been working to make sure that never happens again. Not that there's not another drought, but that when there inevitably is, there's enough water to sustain the community and that inland Mendocino County residents don't have to worry about another year when they don't know when where their next drop of water will come from. This year may be the one to put the work of the last six to the test. It probably hasn't been lost on anyone that this rainy season hasn't been, well, very rainy at all. From Potter Valley to Fort Bragg, Mendocino County has only received 33% of rainfall it normally has by this time of the year. My guests today are Devin Jones, Executive Director of the Mendocino County Farm Bureau, and Eric Ekdahl, Deputy Director at the State Water Resources Control Board, who have been working to tackle the problem of regional water security in inland Mendocino County's Russian River watershed, looking at what regional water security means and if and how the region can achieve it. Welcome, Devin and Eric. Thank you so much for being here with KZYX this morning. Well, good morning. Thanks for having us. Likewise. Thank you. Devin, I wanted to start with you this morning. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself, your position, and your relationship to water management in Mendocino County? Sure. Uh, My name is Devin Jones. I'm the executive director of the Farm Bureau. Been here for about 12 years now, and I'd say water is probably 90% of what we deal with, um, whether that's water availability, water quantity, uh, water rights, uh, water quality issues. I mean, it's kind of the full gamut uh, across the board. And, you know, we are a large county uh, with multiple watersheds. So, you know, working uh, not just in the Russian River primarily, but also with the Navarro and the Eel River and you know, some of the coastal ranges as well, depending upon the issues that come forward. So um, folks need to remember that uh, you know, water is a precious resource and we're always continuing to work on uh, conservation practices and improvement processes for utilizing it better. Thank you so much. So the general of this, to- general topic of this show is regional water security. And I would really like to better understand the state of the water system in inland Mendocino County. What and in all those rivers that you just mentioned. What are you, as someone who is involved in the water management of this region, concerned or thinking about right now? I guess, what's on your mind in terms of water management? Well, that's kind of a multi-piece question, I think. Um, uh, Right now, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, I think immediately at the forefront is just looking at the overall um, water availability due to our current rain condition. So, you know, drought basically, I guess, would be the way to fill that in. So, you know, in 2014, um, similar situations, uh, potentially a little worse than where we're at now. Uh, We worked with the State Water Board at that point in time um, when they came forward with a curtailment process for water rights holders. So uh, for those of you who don't understand the water rights system or may not be familiar, there's a a couple of things that probably mentioned to you in terms of terminology. Uh, There's an appropriative water right and there's a riparian water right uh, system here in California. 
And through that system, and Eric can fill you in as well, there's a seniority process. So uh, first in time, first in right, and riparian water users are, are senior to appropriative. So the State Water Board went through that process to make a determination of what water availability they were looking um, for, for in-stream flow purposes. Um, and in 2014, curtailments were seen in Mendocino County on the Russian River and also on the Eel River uh, system. Um, sort of by natural accretion, uh, there was not enough water available in some of the other systems in the county, such as the Navarro. And I believe even the city of Fort Bragg had to get to the point of looking at, you know, some creative means of uh, water um, delivery services. So we're not alone in the Russian River, but we, we do have our complexities here. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, we have a interbasin transfer from the Eel River that comes through the Potter Valley project and has been there for 100 plus years, originally developed for, for a power source for uh, Ukiah, actually. It was put in place to provide a power resource for the city of Ukiah and water uh, has become the primary benefit, the water supply. Um, for flood control purposes, Lake Mendocino and Lake Sonoma were put in. And so it is basically a man-made system now where uh, reservoir releases are um, performed as necessary in the wintertime for flood control purposes. And the water is put there as well for water supply. So um, from us, we're looking at all those pieces. So it's not one single you know, entity, one single issue. It's one giant puzzle. And you may not know the picture at any given time, but all of those things are connected. So we're working right now on the Potter Valley Project licensing. We're working right now um, trying to get an idea uh, if the crystal ball is accurate of where we might be going with um, the drought season this year and trying to get folks just prepared. Because um, unfortunately, uh, a lot of individuals just don't really know where their water comes from. So when you turn on the tap and it's there, great. But, you know, all of a sudden we have to look at conservation practices or drought conditions. That's what we're trying to get people aware of right now. Thank you so much, Devin. And I think that you just mentioned so much stuff. And that really... <laughs> That really touches upon the fact that this is an extraordinarily complex issue, extraordinarily difficult to understand. So I'm so thankful for people like you to be able to help us all better understand the issues of water rights in our county because it is such the most vital resource. And I want to touch upon a few of the things you just said. One of them is that you want to help folks better prepare. What are some ways that you can think of to help people better prepare to handle what potential water shortages or handle the future of water in Mendocino County? Great question. Um, so, you know, as a Farm Bureau, I primarily work with agricultural industry um, most of the time. So uh, right now we held a workshop yesterday, for example, and the State Water Board participated in that as well as uh, several other speakers. Um, so we're just trying to get the word out that, you know, this is potentially happening, so be prepared. Um, looking at, you know, for the vineyard industry specifically, there could be practices that they implement now that could, um, you know, prepare them for not having a normal year's water supply, um, pruning differences, uh, looking at vegetation removal differences, undermine vegetation removal, and, you know, just considering what their options may be. You know, they might have to thin fruit to reduce the crop size in order to use the water availability that's there. So folks just didn't start thinking about those practices now because if they don't, it might be too late by the time we start really seeing um, some reductions. So that's one thing we're working on. Uh, also have partners and we work quite closely with the municipal um, 
entities here in the Ukiah Valley specifically, so the city of Ukiah, Rabbit Valley County Water District, um, several other county water districts, Russian River Flood Control District has been uh, very much a cheerleader right now and trying to get the word out as much as they can. So, you know, on the urban side, um, you know, the city has a recycled water program now that, you know, we are utilizing for agriculture. So that's been a great resource this past year to help offset uh, and reuse water supply. Um, back in 2014, everybody had their yard signs out saying, you know, conservation in place and they weren't watering lawns. We had um, a low flow toilet sort of um, campaign that provided, you know, options for folks to replace some indoor plumbing fixtures. So, I mean, a lot of it's just um, everyday little practices that can be used to overall reduce water demand. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to ask, who needs to start doing all these things and start thinking about conservation? You mentioned something about water rights and senior water rights and junior water rights. Does everybody have to start thinking about these conservation tactics or just some people in Mendocino County? I would say everybody, right? I mean, even if you've got a senior water right, I mean, I think most individuals want to be good by their neighbors. So they don't want to, um, if we get to the point of looking at a similar situation as in, as in 2014, um, you know, I think everybody was cognizant of, you know, what was happening, you know, in the watershed as a whole. So, you know, even if an individual did not receive a curtailment notice, you know, I think they were, you know, looking at, um, irrigation strategies. They were looking at installing new technologies like soil moisture monitors to help them be more informed about, you know, irrigation use, um, at least on the agricultural side. And I think across the board, we had pretty good conservation numbers from all of the municipalities here um, in Mendocino County. Yeah, and actually, could we backtrack a little bit, Devin? Could you explain a little further what these different water rights mean on the ground for citizens? They have fancy names, but what does it mean for people who are using water in this area? Maybe Eric and I can tag team on this one because that's, that's his forte. But I mean, just to give you the loose, you know, um, sort of concept. So a, a riparian right is um, a water right that an individual property owner may have if their property adjoins a natural water course, like a river, stream, those types of situations. The property has to be touching that water course. So they have the ability to use that water as long as it's not detrimental to any other water users within the system. And typically that riparian water is normally a seasonal availability because, you know, think of a, a system unlike the Russian per se, but even on the Russian it is applied. Um, you know, if water isn't there, obviously you can't use it. <laughs> um, so that's really a simplistic form and then Eric can chime in if I'm not on the mark. Um, an appropriative water right is an actual um, water right that you have been granted by the state of California through the State Water Resources Control Board. So that comes with a season of use. Uh, it comes with a quantity of use and typically a maximum diversion rate. Um, so that, you know, normally you also have to adjoin the water course, but not always. There are some abilities to move water within those systems. So. If you are senior, it just means you have, for example, if your water right is from 1954, you are senior to a water right from like 1976. So that's sort of the seniority uh, is, is first in time, first in right. So those are, and then there's other complexities. <laughs> um, Eric, do you, I would love if you had anything to add to that. This would be a great time. But first, would you mind just giving the audience a little bit longer description of who you are and um, what your job is and how you work with water rights in California. 
Sure. No, thank you. Uh, my name is Eric Ekdahl. I'm the deputy director for the Division of Water Rights at the California State Water Resources Control Board. The California State Water Resources Control Board uh, oversees, basically is the state regulatory agency that manages water quality, water rights, and as of about 2014, also drinking water and drinking water quality for the state of California. There's also nine regional water boards, and those regional boards are more specifically focused on water quality, but they also work in planning and in some circumstances grants and community outreach and doing a lot of kind of on the ground and direct uh, stakeholder just communication and, and that type of work. The Division of Water Rights is responsible for managing the state's water rights system. Uh, Devin did a, a fantastic job describing the, the basic types of rights uh, and maybe offer a, a little bit of a, a addition or nuance. As you said earlier, it's an extremely complicated system. In concept, it's really simple. You have a water right and you have a priority with it. In practice, it's very, very complicated and we'll probably run through some of these reasons in a little bit. Uh, but as Devin mentioned, there's you know, really two or maybe three kinds of rights that we think of in the state. There are more than that, but the three that I'll, I'll talk about quickly are the, the major ones. The first is riparian and as Devin mentioned, those are the rights that you know come with land that touches a natural water body. Uh, and as Devin also highlighted, it has uh, to be naturally occurring water. So there's usually a, a pretty strict uh, seasonality to the availability of riparian water. And one of the, the complications is, you know, let's imagine a, a stream system that uh, is very wet in the winter and gets very dry in the summer, but also has maybe a, a storage reservoir upstream somewhere. And as you go through the season in the summer, you get to August or September, the natural flow of that water might be almost nothing. But if you're making reservoir releases, it could look like there's a lot of water in the river. A riparian right holder doesn't have a right to take previously stored water or storage releases that are meant for other right holders or other purposes of use. And so that can actually get pretty complicated, particularly when people aren't very familiar with how this right system works. The other nuance I think I'd add is uh, when we talk about appropriative rights, uh, there's really two flavors of them. One is something called post-14 or post-1914 appropriative rights, and those are the rights that the State Water Board actually issues permits for, and in issuing those permits, the applicant has to demonstrate that there's water available for appropriation. They have to, uh, you know, say their maximum rate of diversion, where they're going to use the water, what the purpose of use for that water is. But there's a, a whole additional type of appropriative right that we, re we refer to as pre-1914 rights. And that uh, difference comes from when the state first established its modern water right system or system of law. And California actually has a number of appropriative water right claims that were established long before 1914. A lot of these are associated with gold rush era claims where literally people just went out onto a stream system and posted a sign and stuck it into the ground and said, I'm claiming you know, so much water for my uh, you know, sluice down the, the, the hill. And those riparian or those pre-14 appropriative rights are still in effect in some places. Uh, others are related to 
irrigation and agriculture. A lot of them are in the Central Valley, but by no means all of them. Uh, the state board has very limited regulatory authority over pre-1914 rights and riparian rights. And so when we're trying to balance the you know, competing demands, we have to factor in post-1914 rights, pre-1914 rights, and riparian rights, and how we can all kind of effectively manage the demands from those various you know, appropriations or riparian claims. Thank you so much, Eric. Before we move on, I just wanted to remind listeners that I'm Lana Cohen, and today you're listening to a special edition of Byline Mendocino. We're discussing regional water security with Devin Jones, the executive director of the Mendocino County Farm Bureau, and Eric Ekdahl, deputy director at the State Water Board. So, Eric, thank you for that explanation of, again, another extraordinarily complicated topic, it seems like they all are. Um, So there are all these rights, and I understand that the rights are pretty simple when there's enough water. The problem really comes when the water runs short. So what do these rights mean on the ground in drought situations, especially for people without senior water rights, with water rights later, that they got later in history? No, that, that's a, a great question. And uh, it, it gets into, you know, what does a priority system mean? In California, what that means is basically first in time, first in right, and the oldest rights, which we generally call senior rights, uh, have priority over junior. In practice, what that means is that senior rights can satisfy and actually have a legal right to satisfy every last bit of their water use uh, before a junior right holder gets any. And so uh, there's a comment earlier about, you know, should uh, everyone be preparing for dry conditions? And you know, legally, they may not have to, but uh, as Devin highlighted, you know, for, for kind of working together in a system, it's really critical because if you're able to save water from these senior rights, there's more water in the system for everyone else to kind of help uh, spread it around as much as possible. But legally, uh, all the senior rights can claim their water first, and then the junior right holders would either have to stop diverting or seek another supply of water. And that other supply of water typically is groundwater, for which there's a kind of different regulatory structure. And it can sometimes be contract water. You can sometimes do transfers with other right holders that do have a more senior claim. those kind of things I just talked about are really applicable to uh, appropriative rights in particular. Riparian rights are different. And as Devin highlighted, riparians are, are generally senior to uh, all appropriative rights. There are some rare circumstances where uh, it depends on the date that the land was patented. And so there are some circumstances where people have actually staked a riparian claim before the government came in and you know, kind of parceled off the different properties throughout the, the state. Uh, but those are very rare. And so in general, uh, we talk about riparians being more senior than anyone else. But riparians don't have that kind of you know, most senior and then everyone junior cut off. Uh, riparians have a share and share alike type of approach. And that means that every riparian on the stream system has to basically figure out how they need to correlatively 
reduce water use during times of shortage. And in practice, uh, that is exceedingly difficult to calculate or figure out. So you mentioned that technically the way this works in the legal system is that senior water rights holders can use all the water they want and then junior water rights holders might end up with none in a water shortage situation. Now, this issue I know came really to a head in 2014 in Mendocino County. Devin, would you be able to talk about that a little bit? So it actually was statewide and, and Eric and Phil in a bit. So there were, you know, we weren't we weren't alone um, in terms of the curtailment efforts. And, and like I mentioned, I, I primarily worked in terms of the appropriative rights in the Russian River just because there's Quantity-wise, there's more than the other systems we were working with in Mendocino County. Um, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but we had a couple hundred, I think, folks that were curtailed, uh, meaning that they were junior to the cutoff date, which, Eric, maybe shake your head, I think it was 1954 or somewhere in there. I think it was the Russian River Flood Control and Sonoma County water rights. I think it was post-54 were curtailed. So if you had a pre-1954 right, or somewhere in that general time frame, uh, you were able to continue to divert. Um, and that came around April, um, which, you know, I, again, we kind of wait for the miracle march around here, right? That's kind of our, our last punt for the water season. If it really looks like we're gonna get a good, um, you know, unexpected water supply, typically March is what's gonna happen. Um, so the curtailments came in April, um, and this was the first time that the state board had ever done this. So obviously it wasn't like they had, um, they were learning like the rest of us as this process progressed. So we contacted everybody, uh, the state water board sent out contact information to everybody to let them know that they were going to be curtailed. And just like Eric mentioned, I mean, in the Russian river, I guess we are in certain situations, uh, lucky to have some alternatives. So, you know, the Russian river flood control district, um, is a contractor, uh, for water supply. So a lot of those individuals that were curtailed uh, for their own appropriative rights were able to divert water, um, at least to get through the majority of the season under their contracts with the flood control. Uh, we do have individuals um, that have groundwater resources uh, that were able to utilize those in lieu of uh, their appropriative rights. Um, but we did have certain communities, for example, I think the ones that we were, were still trying to resolve are, for example, Redwood Valley. Uh, Redwood Valley um, County Water District, their point of diversion actually comes straight out of Lake Mendocino. And as the water levels receded in Lake Mendocino, their point of diversion was almost what we called sucking air, literally above the water. Um, and so they made the decision in Redwood Valley to cut off agriculture 100%. Um, and in a certain situation where public health crises comes about, that's to be expected. You know, the priority was to provide water uh, for the domestic uh, demands in Redwood Valley. So we tried to get creative in terms of the flood control, partnering with Redwood Valley to try to provide water if possible. Um, a lot of individuals just um, either looked at trucking water in <laughs> uh, from, or they just literally cut crop off the vines and didn't have a, a crop uh, that year. So we're trying to avoid that. And, and like I said, the flood control has started early uh, working with Redwood Valley to try to see what water uh, may be available to them uh, if we get towards these situations. But um, on the Russian, that's what we were dealing with. On the eel, we had, you know, several um, Willits area individuals that were curtailed. Um, and so at that point, there's not 
option B. <laughs> uh, they don't have a, a, like a water delivery system like the flood control district. Uh, most of those folks, um, some had groundwater. So, I mean, it kind of varied depending upon what system you were in. So that's, uh, we're, we're, we're looking at that experience uh, to try to work with the state board now. And I know they've learned um, a lot from that experience and they're going through their process of data analysis as well to try to see, you know, how we can learn from it and make it a little smoother if we need it. <laughs> yeah, and of course, we can just hope that we won't need it, but it's great to be prepared so that we don't end up in a situation like we did in 2014 when people didn't really know what was coming. Um, and of course, the last year has been really dry, and so far this rainy season really hasn't brought much precipitation. Are these types of curtailments something that we should be worried about going into the dry season of 2021 and how are you working to prepare so that and help residents become more prepared for potential drought this summer well this might be kind of a co-question here i think between uh, between myself and eric um and like i mentioned you know the the water board was uh, really proactive they came forward early uh, to a group of water managers in both Mendocino and Sonoma counties in, in September, I believe, or August, and, and said, you know, this is, you know, a model we're working on. We're looking at some additional analyses. Uh, obviously, everybody knows that last year was very dry. We're, you know, trying to predict what's going to be happening for 2021, but um, here's what we're thinking about moving forward. So locally, um, uh, several of us have formed a a task force, for lack of a better term, just because we didn't have a better name for it, but that's the City of Ukiah Farm Bureau, um, Russian River Flood Control District, as well as, you know, variable other partners in, in, in the upper part of the Russian River. Uh, and we said, hey, we need to start this conversation. Um, so around November, we kind of reorganized this group and said we should probably meet with the state board just to kind of get an idea of what they may be anticipating. And, you know, not surprisingly, their crystal ball isn't any better than ours. Um, so we're kind of in the same boat, no pun intended, um, trying to kind of figure out where 2021 may be going. Um, so we're just, from my perspective, we're kind of in the infancy of that conversation, but trying to continually have those conversations and continue the conversation to see what options may be available um, for the diverters in the Russian River to be proactive as we potentially might move into a curtailment situation. No, I, I think that's uh, spot on. And, you know, in terms of the question of, you know, should you be preparing for curtailments? Uh, I think people should look at their water rights and, you know, for the, the junior water right holder, uh, people should be preparing for curtailments every year. And I want to really nuance what I mean by that. I don't mean that we're going to be curtailing every year. I mean that they should be preparing and they should be planning what are their fallback scenarios, what are their alternatives in the event that curtailments are needed. I think what the, the most recent drought showed is that when we get into these periods of really dry, you know, anomalously dry, hot droughts, uh, supply is not sufficient for demand. And statewide, I think we, we had done curtailments on a similar scale in 1977, and then really hadn't done kind of the same broad kind of curtailments uh, statewide until 2014. So that's almost a, a 40 year difference between we'd done that when we when we needed to do that. Uh, but you know, climate change suggests that 
these droughts will be more frequent and more intense. And, you know, it could be that we're already entering into another drought period similar to 2014 and 15, just five years later. Uh, when we look at the hydrology of this year, it's very similar to 2014. And uh, we don't know, is this a, a one-year dry period or is it a two-year dry period? Uh, last year, I think in the Russian River, it was the third driest year in 127 years of record. And so if this year's dry also, this very indicative or, or signaling that this is the start of a, a longer dry period. Uh, and, you know, it, it just makes sense to kind of plan for your water supply, particularly if you're in a, a junior kind of priority. Uh, statewide, we recently worked on something called the Water Resilience Portfolio. And... Well, it's maybe a, a little bit higher level than kind of the individual water right scale. It is really focused on you know what the state needs to do, what locals need to do to build connections, be prepared, and uh, ensure that we have kind of a resilient in water supply in the face of growing population and climate change. And uh, you know those are kind of high level tools that we're looking at, but it needs to kind of also capture the individual water right holder and how does this all kind of connect together that's part of what the water resilience portfolio is is aiming to do uh, and eric yeah, no, oh sorry continue go ahead yeah, no please go ahead <laughs> okay you mentioned that the state is working to create a more resilient water supply how is the state working to make sure that that supply reaches communities like Mendocino that might not have as much storage or as much infrastructure as bigger cities? That's a really tough question, but it's also uh, in a lot of senses at the local uh, decision level, if that makes sense. You know, there are some places in the state where uh, the supply that they get is the supply that they have. And there are some storage options like Mendocino, uh, a few other smaller reservoirs, but the, the volume of storage in the North Coast is relatively small compared to the rest of the state. But it's not hooked up to the broader you know, state water project or Central Valley projects. And uh, I you know, never say never, but it's unlikely to be. And so the water supply that falls as rain and snow uh, is kind of what you have and what you have to work with. And I think there are some planning things that can be done to ensure that the supply that does, uh, that, that is there it is stretched as far as it possibly can. And, and again, Devin, please jump in here too, but you've already touched on the conservation and efficiency, being as efficient with your water use as you possibly can be, whether that's agricultural or municipal or, you're just making sure that you're doing things like high efficiency washers and uh, making sure you don't have dripping irrigation systems or even looking at your yard or your uh, landscaping and, and trying to do natural landscaping that maybe doesn't need as much irrigation at all. Uh, you know, that can help stretch at the, the kind of individual level but then it's also planning and, and understanding at the county level land use planning uh, is there water for certain specific uses? And if you look at kind of where you are now versus what your supply is expected to be and where you think uh, you know, your, your land use wants to go is putting a bunch of additional land into 
either municipal uh, housing or agricultural development. That's a decision at the local level, but it needs to be balanced by water supply. And I think the third thing is looking at storage where appropriate and reasonable. Uh, one of the things that we're trying to highlight as much as possible is, is looking at your aquifers and, and taking care of your aquifers to the extent possible. When you have really wet years, you know, aquifers are this kind of natural ready-made storage facility. It doesn't require a dam. It doesn't require kind of the other environmental impacts that go with uh, surface water storage in some cases. And where there's capacity, you can store immense volumes of water there uh, that you can tap during drought. So taking care of your aquifers, understanding where those options are, they may not always be available. And I, I think in the you know kind of more mountainous areas of Mendocino, uh, you don't necessarily have those good aquifer storage locations, but where you do look at them, study them and figure out if it's uh, viable or cost-effective to to think about storing water underground, capturing flood flows and using them when you can. Oh, Devin, if you have additional things you'd like to add. Devin, I would love to hear um, if you have anything to add or comment, but before that, I would just like to remind listeners that this morning you're listening to a special edition of Byline Mendocino discussing regional water security with Devin Jones, the executive director of the Mendocino County Farm Bureau, and Eric Ekdahl, deputy director at the State Water Board. And Devin, I would love to hear what you have to say about what Eric was just discussing. Yeah, in terms of the aquifers and groundwater, that's a sort of a whole new um, uh, level, I guess, that we're delving into, especially with uh, the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, or SIGMA, as implemented um, in Mendocino County. You know, we have one uh, water quality, or excuse me, water basin that we're working on developing our groundwater sustainability plan for, and that is not shockingly the Ukiah Valley. <laughs> so that runs from Redwood Valley all the way down to north of Hopland, basically. Um, and include some fingers of the tributaries in the Ukiah Valley. And we, this year, the rubber is going to be hitting the road. Um, a lot of those planned development chapters are being uh, developed as we speak. Uh, the plan has to be submitted in 2022 to uh, DWR, uh, Department, not Water Rights. What am I, what's DWR, Eric? Department of Water Rights. Department of Water Resources. Resources. Sorry, I was having a fr Friday brain problem there. Um, so a partner agency to Eric. Um, and so, you know, obviously we don't have a lot of analysis uh, in terms of um, a length period for looking at uh, the groundwater here in the Ukiah Valley. Uh, we are pretty sure we're not seeing any sort of um, significant changes uh, based on the historical records of what we have, but that does play into this sort of surface to groundwater interaction component that Eric just talked about. And a lot of it is just, you know, going to be finding out what that interaction truly looks like. Um, Eric also did mention we've got a lot of fractured aquifers here in the county. We have a lot of uh, clay and heavy soils that don't lend themselves to sort of water holding capacities necessarily. So, you know, as we move through these processes, we are probably going to be looking at, you know, if there are areas that are available for doing um, some aquifer types of storage projects. But um, at this point in time, we haven't gotten to that situation. But in North County, this is important to think about, too. If you really look at a lot of the coast areas and a lot of the north part of Mendocino County, uh, primarily the water supply is coming from groundwater resources. Um, so that's something to think about as well. Um, and so, you know, Cobolo, Laytonville, Willits are, are, are heavily dependent on uh, groundwater supplies, especially if you're outside of what municipal um, districts are there. 
So that's been a challenge, I know, especially on the coast as well. So a lot of those municipal systems are old and they're dated, and now they're getting to the point of needing to look at infrastructure improvements and, and what those may look like. So, you know, as a lot of these water issues move forward, again, you know, uh, trying to be prepared versus, you know, having a crisis and then having to respond is, is sort of the goal. <laughs> um, people tend to be a little bit more um, proactive when they can, you know, be engaged and not have to, you know, all of a sudden have zero water coming out of their tap. So um, that would be the goal as well. And in terms of agricultural footprint, I mean, something that, you know, folks may not remember, especially in the Ukiah Valley, is we've seen kind of a dynamic shift over the last 50 years from tree crops such as prunes and pears uh, to grapes primarily here in the Ukiah Valley. And uh, pears on average, for example, use typically uh, what we call one to two acre feet per acre of water per year, just because it's a tree, right? It's a bigger, <laughs> it's a bigger plant basically. And you also need water to size the fruit. I mean, that's the, that's the critical component for pears is size. So as we've seen a lot of those crops rotate, we really haven't seen an increase in water use demand in terms of agricultural footprint, just because of the crop uh, differences in um, average use. You know, grapes, for example, use on, on average about three quarters to an acre foot per acre. So that gives you a little bit of a comparison to know of, of kind of that crop rotation historically uh, here in, in Ukiah Valley. Eric, you mentioned that if there isn't enough supply, that there isn't enough supply for demand in some areas and that for some areas it's just what we have is what we get. I was wondering if you, if there's anywhere in California that you can think of that's in a similar situation as Mendocino County and maybe some of the solutions that they've looked at that might be different or similar to what Mendocino County is looking at or maybe they're a few years ahead of us in looking at solutions um, for this issue. There's a lot of places in California that are in that broad, similar position. Uh, in fact, it, it really, if you look anywhere outside of the, the project areas in the Central Valley, uh, some of the coastal regions that are hooked into the CVP, uh, and some of the SWP connections, and then Southern California, which is also hooked into the State Water Project, which is SWP, uh, the Colorado Aqueduct, the California Aqueduct, and the, the Owens Valley uh, diversions. So th there's a lot of places that basically are reliant on whatever natural precipitation falls that year or uh, that they can pull from groundwater. And in terms of uh, urban communities and kind of community water systems, so these are the water systems that are regulated by the state. There's some smaller systems that are regulated in certain counties. Uh, there's pretty strict requirements in establishing a, a water system to make sure that you have enough water going forward. So uh, it, it's in most circumstances not an issue for the communities themselves. Now, no, that's not to say that those issues don't come up as we saw during the last drought, particularly in certain parts of the Central Valley, but also in certain parts of the, the coast ranges and the foothills, uh, you know, communities that were reliant on fractured bedrock or maybe that didn't have as reliable a source of groundwater did in fact experience shortages uh, and in fact there were some communities that were also so junior of a water right that they technically should have been curtailed uh, and so there's some new planning requirements that i think are spelled out in some recent 
legislation, AB 1668 and SB 606. These are uh, conservation as a California way of life legislation that came through about two years ago uh, that require communities to plan for a longer drought and require communities to become more efficient over time. In terms of those communities that maybe uh, are small enough that they're not kind of captured by the, the recent legislation, uh, there's a number of financial assistance efforts. The State Water Board has a whole division of financial assistance and will work with communities to develop more reliable water supplies. That includes low interest loans, uh, grants in some circumstances. The Department of Water Resources also manages a grant and loan program. They're maybe less focused on drinking water, but they are heavily focused on water supply. And so some of the, what's referred to as the Integrated Regional Water Management planning grants that have been around since about 2002 uh, go directly to a lot of the water supply issues statewide and have gone to a number of places in the North Coast region itself. So uh, it's definitely a challenge and especially in communities that don't have a lot of infrastructure around them, uh, there's very limited options and you're really looking there at uh, drilling a well that hopefully is more reliable or importing water from another source if you're not able to tap groundwater and your surface water runs dry. The other uh, issue that was really significant during the last drought was private domestic wells. And these are just you know wells that are owned by a, a specific landowner. They're not regulated by the state in any way. They're not regulated by uh, counties or local other kind of authorities. And where those wells are shallow or where they are drilled into uh, fractured bedrock or aquifers that are maybe less reliable or more flashy in nature is what we sometimes refer to them as, uh, they can also experience water supply issues. And statewide during the last drought, there were thousands of private domestic wells that did go dry. Uh, the state initiated a bottled water uh, campaign to provide drinking water and kind of domestic use water to uh, thousands of people. And there are some communities that actually set up kind of whole water tanks in front of their front lawns to supply that water as well. So long term, you know, that's part of what the state is looking at in its water resilience portfolio as part of the, the safer program to make sure that people have a safe and reliable source of drinking water. But it's not going to get solved overnight. And uh, we're kind of working slowly and surely to make sure that we can make sure people have drinking water when they need it. So now I would like to open up the phone lines for anybody who wants to call in and has questions for Eric or Devin about water security in Mendocino County. The phone number is 707-895-2448. Again, anybody who would like to call in and ask questions about regional water security could call 707-895-2448. So, Eric, thank you so much for that explanation. I think um, if there isn't, I want to go back to what you said again, the fact that if there isn't enough, that there isn't enough supply for demand and that what we have, oh, one moment, we have our first caller. Um, hello, caller. Hi there, good morning. I'm wondering if the State Water uh, Research 
Resource Conservation Board is considered um, making it easier for uh, not only Mendocino residents, but residents all over California to develop their properties with small ponds so there is local water resilience. Thanks. Uh, so there are a number of options that uh, the board does already permit related to ponds. Ponds are a really controversial topic for a lot of uh, parts of California. It depends if they're on stream or off stream. So an on stream pond makes basically means you're kind of blocking up part of a naturally occurring water course and then impounding it and then using the, the water that's in that impoundment. Uh, on stream impoundments have a number of environmental issues with them. Uh, it affects stream flow and there's significant salmonid issues in much of California related to not enough flow already. Uh, there are issues related to invasive species, gravel migration, and a whole host of things. We work very closely with our colleagues at the California Department of Fish and Wildlife to evaluate on-stream ponds. But off-stream ponds are uh, definitely something that is an option, and there are uh, clear permitting pathways to do so. I won't pretend that it's necessarily easy but it is definitely easier than an on-stream pond. And if that is, I think, something that folks are interested in doing, I'd encourage everyone to look at our uh, permitting page website and look at the options that are available for how you'd go about obtaining a, an appropriative right for an off-stream pond. Okay, and we have another caller. One moment. Caller, hello. Hi, am I on the air? Yes, you are. Let's hear your hey, question. Following up on um, reservoirs, what's the State Water Board's um, plan for trying to follow up with the backlog of, of uh, conditions that aren't being enforced on a lot of these existing reservoirs, uh, specifically bypass or seasonal diversions? And I'll take my uh, answer off the air. Thanks. Thanks. No, I, I think that you're touching on kind of the the environmental issues that I maybe uh, skimmed over pretty quickly uh, under the first caller. Uh, a lot of ponds nowadays, especially if they're on stream, uh, require what we call bypass flow, meaning that we're ensuring that there's enough water in the system for all the other either users downstream, whether those are appropriative or riparian users, or the environment also. And uh, most modern permits include something that you know, says you must bypass a certain amount or a certain condition. A lot of older permits didn't include those, and we have a number of backlogged permit and applications in the North Coast in particular that were identified as part of some enforcement work back in the early 2000s. And in that circumstance, we found that you know there were these existing ponds, but they didn't have any kind of uh, bypass features related to them and there were environmental concerns with them. So what we're seeing is that it's it's harder and harder to uh, obtain any kind of appropriative right, especially for kind of spring and summer and fall diversions. And what we're really looking at is uh, more seasonal type diversions and it gets to what the first caller highlighted uh, where you can uh, use water that's there when it's wet, right? Taking flood flows, uh, which actually may serve kind of a, a broad benefit if you're able to 
uh, shave off peak flows in some certain watersheds. And uh, the process for doing so is relatively more straightforward. But in terms of going back and looking at you know, enforcing existing permits uh, and existing bypass, we rely on self-reporting. And we do get those reports uh, to ensure that people are doing what they do. And we do actually go through and look and, and try to uh, do a compliance kind of inspection on those reports and make sure that they're being followed. It's still a challenge, and you know, given the reporting requirements and the kind of technology that's available, it's really difficult to do that statewide. I don't know, Devin, if you, you want to add something uh, there. Sure. I would just say that, you know, um, in, in the experience with the appropriative rights, you know, if you don't have a storage component, uh, some of the process is to go in and open up that right to add storage, and we have worked. Uh, significantly with the state water board in the past you know decade i would say to um, add additional agricultural storage facilities in the ukiah valley here and that's been a great management resource for us in order to sort of reduce um, instantaneous demand on the russian river and to work to install additional ponds for example for the storage of recycled water so ponds are a great resource and um, Eric, I'm not the most vested person in this, but maybe something to mention would be the domestic and small irrigation registration process, which is, a, in theory, a little bit more of a simplified process compared to a full water right. So that might be something to, to mention to callers. Yeah, no, thank you for, for highlighting those. The uh, There are some different, I'll call them flavors of water rights, maybe then types of water rights, but a, a small domestic use registration is intended to be something that's a little bit more like a, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. It's supposed to be easier. Maybe just leave it at that. And uh, the idea is that you can come in and say, this is a, a small amount of water I'm using for just domestic purposes inside my house, inside my uh, home, a little bit of gardening, a little bit of yard work. And the cost is significantly less. The processing timeline is much shorter uh, and it, it ostensibly should be able to go much more quickly. The uh, small irrigation use registration in practice should work the same way. I'll be honest that we don't have a lot of them and the experience of stakeholders has been that that process maybe doesn't work quite as fast as it should. Uh, I think there are probably reasons for that related to uh, expectations and what kind of project actually fits that registration more easily. Uh, but that's something that we're looking at trying to speed up and, and make sure it goes more quickly. Uh, but you know, if there's ever questions here, again, please feel free to reach it directly out to the division staff. We have great permitting staff. They'll talk to you. They'll walk people through things. We have a good website. Uh, take a look there. Okay. One more caller. Hello, caller. Hello. Uh, good morning. Thanks for the great um, show. This morning, I just wanted to ask a question. Go ahead. Okay. Yes, I just wanted to see if they could give me an example of what a senior water right business and how they were able, able to be still kept in motion, opposed to one of a, of a junior water business. If you can give me an example of one of each, not take my answer off, off the air. Off the. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Uh, I'll throw in, and Devin, please jump in here. I mean, you can have all kinds of junior and senior types of rights. The probably easy, easiest examples are just municipal uh, systems and an irrigation district or an individual farm. And both of those can have either senior rights or junior rights or both. In fact, a lot of municipal systems will have a whole portfolio of water rights that range from uh, pre-14 to post-14 to contract rights, and we'll do exchanges and transfers as well. Yeah, I mean, it's the same situation. I mean, a thing like, for example, um, you know, if you've got a farming family that's been here for five generations, they might have uh, uh, several pieces of property of which some of them may be connected, some of them may not. So some of them have riparian rights, which are senior, and then they'll have a, you know, different dates of when they may, may apply for appropriative rights. So they might have some that are, again, just looking at a time frame. you know, if a senior might be 1949, and then they might have something from the 70s, right? So that would be a junior right to that senior right. So, um, you know, or there's individuals who just have a single right, and that's, you know, what they'll be uh, dealing with. So, um, and maybe it, it's a complicated uh, kind of a website, but I mean, you can get into it, that there is a database um, that the State Water Resources maintains called the ERIMS database, and it's very uh, searchable uh, by watershed. So, if you are interested in kind of looking up maybe, you know, who or how many water rights might be in your specific area of the county, uh, you can find that pretty readily through the State Water Resources Control Board website. Thank you so much. So we're coming to the end of the show. Devin, before we close, I would really want to give you a, a chance to give one message to the KZYX listeners about water. What do you want to tell the community about water management in Mendocino? I would say know where your water comes from, uh, whether that's your own domestic supply through a, a well system or municipal supply system. I think that's one of the um, educational components that we're constantly working on to remind individuals that it's just not the miraculous tap that is always going to be available. Uh, there is a whole slew of processes that delivers that water uh, to their homes, businesses, and, uh, and or farms. So uh, know where your water comes from. Uh, get an idea of what your water use is and what you might be able to reasonably reduce that to uh, coming into 2021. Thank you so much. And then, Eric, I was wondering if we could zoom out and you could give a message to water users in California and in Mendocino County. Sure. Uh, start start planning. And not just for this year, but for the future. And you know, look at what you need to do to become more resilient in the face of climate change and the very likely prospect of longer and hotter droughts punctuated by very wet, intense wet years from time to time. And uh, planning can only help. Thank you so much. So thank you to everybody who was listening today. This was a special edition of Byline Mendocino discussing regional water security with Devin Jones, Executive Director of the Mendocino County Farm Bureau, and Eric Ekdahl, Deputy Director at the State Water Board. The issue of water rights is a complicated and contentious topic in Mendocino, in California, around the West. I guess, frankly, it's complicated anywhere where the resource is limited. So thank you both, Eric and Devin, for taking the time this morning to break down some of these complex issues facing Mendocino County and the state. And thank you also to everybody who called in with such insightful questions this morning. 
from KZYX News, this is Lana Cohen. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willitson Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.